0: DMs, have you ever felt like banishing a player to the astral sea for insisting your rule interpretation was bogus?
1: Players, have you ever felt frustrated that a 19 on a perception check only tells you that there may or may not be something there? Dragonborn, tired of being
0: confused with lizardfolk? Then this is the podcast for you where we take a hard look at the rules of the game, the reality of the table, and the role of the dice to solve D&D's most heated arguments. This is
1: Raw and Order. Hey, uh, Anna, uh, want to
0: hear a joke? Always. What do you call the default expression of a grumpy necromancer?
1: Of a grumpy (laughs) necromancer. I don't know. What do you call the default expression?
0: Resting lich face. (laughs) Oh! Hi, everyone. (laughs) Welcome back. Welcome, welcome to episode 14. Ooh that's okay so we have exciting news that we've already discussed on Twitter but we reached 300 Twitter followers like we blew past
1: 300 Twitter followers like it we is are, it's where is it it's like way back there
0: yeah we there don't even is. you're we're already working on chapter two of, Rump <laughs> of Deception.
1: uh no still diligently working on chapter one but it is very funny to me
0: anyway I'm, so. I, <laughs> I hope it's filled with a bunch of just, like, obscure, like, Canadian references that no one here is going to get. That, you know,
1: all Mennonite people would know, evidently.
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That's exactly what it's filled with.
0: (laughs) Okay, I have to, I have to, we need to backtrack and, like, insert ourselves into last week's episode for one second. Okay. Because I love that, like, I've never really had, like, a moment of glory in a a D&D game and then last night, we're, we're recording this on April eighth on a Thursday. Last <laughs> night, Anna and I played in a campaign, our yawning portal, and we can I can I describe? You want to do you want to set yeah. it up? Do you want me to? Okay. This, I
1: mean, I mean, like the like the, to where we even started your moment of glory. Oh my, was God. already like fifty thousand moments of like madness okay yes so
0: we all died we ended up <laughs> yeah. reconstituted in some strange plane that's not the astral sea we have no idea where we are or when um, we are or when we are i sold my soul uh, one of my lives mm-hmm. to like the the ferry keeper on the river sticks basically and uh And so we reach this point where we're like floating along in this (laughs) unknown void and we're we're on this like ghost boat. Ghost boat! And uh, we... uh, We reach the end
1: of time and space, right? Yeah, we
0: start drifting towards this like void that that turned into like this enormous monster that wanted to eat us. So we had to start making wisdom saves and start concentrating on... The place we wanted to go, which is the point at which in the campaign where we got teleported to or where, where we got teleported from to start this whole nightmare two so, sessions ago. I
1: mean, without going into too, too much of it, we had to concentrate on a, a campfire elsewhere. Right. right. At like a specific
0: point in time. Like
1: all five of us are just like campfire, campfire, campfire.
0: Right. So we're concentrating on this. And like. And every time we we succeed, it it pushes the boat a little bit further out of the reach of this creature that that every turn is gaining on us by like five feet. So, I'm I'm there with Umbra. We're all thinking about this. Anna, your character Jin mm-hmm. brings out the bagpipes <laughs> and starts going to town on like this song to help us all remember. Mm-hmm. And then I have no idea how this came up. I forget, but somehow. Time after time, what I think Phil was like. This reminds me of the song "Time After Time."
1: Well, that's what Phil said that he imagined Jin was singing, even though yes. I was singing some like random hocus pocus made up song. Exactly. Yes, but I pull out the bagpipes. You know. Yeah. I'm trying You're to get the group to focus. We're literally at the end of time, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're the yep. monster chasing us is like the like right end there. of everything, right there. Yep.
0: <laughs> and. It comes to my turn and we're just about like the last person I think failed their save, so we didn't move any closer out of the out of the uh the the, the map to get free. And we're like right at the edge and it's Umbra's turn. I have advantage on the roll without even needing advantage on the first dice roll I get a nat twenty. Um and But but it was it was even better than this, because I set it up by saying, like, I'm at like the head of the boat and I turn around to the group and I started singing time after time. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then everyone was laughing. And then I rolled, got a nat 20, which was the most beautifully narrative, narratively beautiful thing ever. Mm-hmm. And our ship to the to the sound of bagpipes, our ship <laughs> sailed to safety or so we think. I don't know. I just, that that's the moment of glory in D&D that's just not replicable. That's replicable. a
1: fantastic moment of glory. And I yeah. love that it has like nothing to do with like defeating a creature. It no, was just so
0: <laughs> narratively I running away from a beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh man, Clance, you're just, uh, yeah. so, shit's going on. And then I gained the ability to basically alter time and space for one one moment one moment (laughs) and it could result in my permanent death Mm -hmm. but it could also be a way to save us if we need or humanity who gives a fuck about humanity am i right
1: (laughs) i mean we're we're part of it so well we we probably give a little (laughs) bit of a fuck
0: (laughs) you're a dragon and i'm a cat so we don't care about now humans okay okay who who says that what's that from it's from like drag queens and Rupaul and drag race oh
1: no that's yeah. like a that's a some musician does that
0: oh cardi B oh there we go but drag queens also do it okay and probably did it before she did it, so whatever <laughs> um uh anyway uh, so how are you <laughs> uh you know it's
1: been a it's been a tough week yeah. but I'm so excited on Monday I got my second shot oh <gasps> So Yay. so soon, very soon I can go back to licking all the doorknobs.
0: Yes, then, which was and one of Anna's uh, pastimes. That, that's my past one times. of
1: my hobbies don't knock yeah. it till you try it.
0: We used to call her we used to call her old knob licker. Knoblicker, licker. that's Knob licker dicks it. <laughs>
1: Aww. That's you were horrible. at my you were at my uh, law school graduation evidently
0: Because that's what actually... they
1: said when they handed me the diploma. <laughs>
0: <gasps> I hope it's not <laughs> or else let's sue them um yeah you you are you are a real lawyer and so you've you've had a lot of like things to do like this week like lawyery
1: so. things to do this week and and typically i i don't have that many lawyery things to do in a week but this week i did so yeah
0: to put it in perspective of why you should never go to law school we're recording this at what it's 5:40 we're going to be recording till like 7 7:30 yep. and then after that you have to go work on a brief which is yeah. just <laughs> gross so that'll Disgusting. that'll be
1: fun Why? and it's only thursday
0: yeah so send us money so that mm-hmm. anna doesn't have we're gonna sponsor we should, us right so that i just gonna say i can, can do, quit my day job and we're and we're gonna have pictures of Anna,
1: um, <laughs> just like at a computer typing, just sadly. at a computer,
0: and then like slow motion. You turn your holding face a padfolio, sadly, and it turns to black and white. And for just <laughs> for just one hundred dollars a day, you could help this poor, unfortunate soul who decided to become a lawyer.
1: <laughs> looking at looking at a price tag for a suit, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's i that's mean my life anyway okay. <laughs>
0: well my life hasn't been that exciting um no so, no i have some i bought some uh well i didn't buy i w- i got sent some cinnamon rolls from zingamins have you heard of zingamins before no zingamins bakery Is it's an animal no I'm it's in assuming Ann Arbor. it's in new york <laughs> No, it's oh, oh, Ann it's Arbor, Michigan. Michigan. Okay. Yeah. And it's like a famous uh, bakery, deli bakery. Place Who sent there. it to you? Who is this? It's a, a long story short. I wrote into a podcast and I, and they selected me as like a person and they read a question of mine and then I, I won this. So they sent it to me. But um, you were uh, cheating on us. I was absolutely. with another
1: podcast other than yep. the other podcast that you also do. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do listen to several other mm-hmm. pods. So, do we have anything <laughs> else we want to discuss?
1: No, I don't think so. The like rainy whatever weather has been has been bumming me out. I really enjoyed this weekend when it was like bright and beautiful oh, and sunny God. and gorgeous
0: and it was. Oh, I have a funny story. It's not really funny, but the whole winter my air conditioner has been on, so. <laughs> Well, reading is hard. <laughs> reading is fundamental, kids. It's uh, it's very... It was very cold this whole winter. I and, bet. Um, basically, long story short, I had a very nice guy from his company um, came in uh, in like January to install a humidifier on my furnace because it's very dry. And when it's as cold... When it's colder than a witch's tit in Iowa and you get that little... When a Target pops up next door, <laughs> then folks you have to listen to our previous episode seven (laughs) episode seven go listen it's exactly half of our episodes ago um uh then your air gets very dry when it's this cold so i had a humidifier installed and there was some cross hatching of the wires raining
1: in your house like that's what i imagine will happen with all that cold air and then like Raining. warm air and humidity and combining and isn't that do you how know rain? how rain I, I don't no. know how rain is formed
0: <laughs> so that is decidedly not how precipitation happens but I'll let you think yeah it rained in my house cool um uh, that's where Lady Gaga got the inspiration for Rain on Me from she she accidentally had her 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 humidifier on and her AC she has a song
1: her. called Rain on Me
0: oh God Anna how is it possible that you know less about pop culture than I do. Well, how does it go? I'm not going to sing it because I will I will not do Mother Gaga that disservice. You
1: know what? But you it's from it Chromatica. Or it didn't happen.
0: It's from Chromatica. She just released it. Like, what the hell is
1: Chromatica?
0: You guys, you heard it here. Anna is the one who's out of touch. <laughs>
1: I'm finally not the one who's out of touch. I'm so excited. I don't pay attention to things. Okay, long story short. That's the regardless. fourth time we've said long story
0: short in the 12 minutes we've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> I do say it a lot. Long story short, the wires in my furnace got crossed. And the air, so the furnace and the AC were on. My AC was on the entire winter since January. <laughs> and it was funneling air through the heater and then through the air conditioner before it came up. So I was always like, wow, the air is so cold. But I guess that's just... Guess that's the humidifier nope because then when i turned on my air conditioner hot air came out and i said that's not good luckily it took five minutes to fix and did you do it yourself good. yeah anna i did it myself i knowledgeable sarcastic
1: voice guys
0: <laughs> knowledgeable hvac know. expert me went to my basement and i said i'm handy let me go take care of this it was
1: just a case of crossed wires you should and be then used I got to a, that
0: Oh! Rude, oh! Extremely rude. Yeah, I went down and I took my socket wrench and I soldered I soldered something you and soldered. fixed it. I soldered my socket wrench to my to the wires to my, my slip jabber. Yeah watch, oh, yeah, watch 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 my who's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, enough. I I'm done. I will not be disrespecting. <laughs> In my own home.
1: In your own On my your own, own
0: podcast. <laughs>
1: Well, then we better get started with our show because I got nothing left in me but disrespect for you. So.
0: Do we have a guest joining us?
1: We sure do. And it is, what? once again, a brand new friend that we have made from the internet.
0: <gasps> internet friends.
1: Internet friends are sometimes creepy, but sometimes <laughs> awesome. We're not talking about Hoping you, this Hunter. This one is awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm leaving all of that in. Hunter's <laughs> joining us. Woo! All yay! right, let's
1: go meet Hunter. Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay. The Honorable Chief Justices Joe and Anna and Visiting Associate Justice Hunter of the Supreme Court of D&D. All persons having business before this court are admonished to draw near, give their attention, and don't let Matt Gates date your child, for the court is now sitting. Yay! <laughs> Welcome, Hunter! Welcome, Hunter.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. Yeah, we're so Absolutely.
0: excited to have you on so Hunter you are another another new friend that we found through the Twitterverse um so do you want to just maybe get us started with how you got into D&D and tabletop gaming
2: absolutely uh I've been playing D&D for six years consistently since 2015 um I started in three five technically but it was like two 30-minute games after a high school class and it never really went anywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I really got started in 5th edition. Uh, a lot of people probably have the same origin story, if you will, but I started watching Critical Role and then yeah. it just all spiraled. <laughs> it's all been downhill from there. Uh, but no, I, I watched Critical Role like episode 6 as it aired live. And then the next day, my roommate and I looked at each other and it's like, we should play D&D. <laughs> and we went out, we split the cost of $150 books worth of books. And, you know, mm. and here we are six years later. That's
0: awesome. I that love I love yeah. that, right? Because that's like, th- that's basically, well, I won't. Everyone knows. I talked about how I got into D&D. But I just, I just love that this sort of cultural phenomenon has happened where Critical Role has sort of, led all of these people to start discovering D mm-hmm. and other types of live play shows. I think it's awesome.
2: Um and uh and, What are yeah, you playing and, and, right
1: now?
0: Yeah what, what am, am I playing pl- now?
2: I'm playing I'm running a game of D fifth edition. Um but I own eight different RPG core rule books and I've run nice. six of them. On occasion, so everything from Genesis to the Star Wars Edge of the Empire system, um, I've got a couple of apocalypse not powered by the apocalypse. It's a uh, like a an end of the world system uh, that I've oh. run from time to time through Fantasy Flight. Um, but right now, currently, I'm playing D and D fifth edition awesome
0: i assume the apocalyptic one was last year 20 that was <laughs> game
1: two on the nose you know
2: i i seriously thought about it around june or july i was like you know maybe i should start reading this book a little more and start getting ready
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah okay okay what skills do i need this game's got to help me somehow how right? do i stock
1: my bunker okay okay I love
2: it. what do you do when somebody lies to you Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and uh and what do you
0: do for for a living for real life
2: uh it's a little boring i drive delivery for amazon sold my soul hey. for sixteen dollars an hour yeah <laughs> hey it's worth it
0: right i appreciate you yeah but just like <laughs> I, do well. <laughs> I, I do as you. well i appreciate you uh well welcome to the show we're super excited to have you yeah um So the court will hear one case today the case of chaos bolt versus twin spell the case the question before the court is can a sorcerer use the uh metamagic twin spell feature uh when casting the spell chaos bolt so i submitted this question because i was walking my dog (laughs) <laughs> That's and, where you
1: think of a lot of things, Joe. It's, hey,
0: you know, it's... Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, whatever. Right?
0: And um, and I was just sort of flipping through. I have this app on my phone that I talk about all the time that I, uh, you know, I scroll through and look at spells and I came across Chaos Bolt, and I was like, what the fuck is this spell? I have never seen this spell before and it's only castable by sorcerer and i've never played in a game with a sorcerer or not frequently um so i don't think i've ever even seen this spell cast but let me let me read the spell for you um you hurl an undulating warbling mass of chaotic energy at one creature in range make a range spell attack against the target on hit it does 2d8 plus 1d6 damage now you roll the 2d8s and then there's a chart one through eight of different damage types and you as the sorcerer get to pick one of the two d8s that you rolled and that is the damage that the spell does so it's sort of like like chromatic orb only instead of 3d8 it's 2d8 plus 1d6 and you get to pick the damage type sort of however it has a very unique feature if you roll the same number on both of those d8s the chaotic energy leaps from the target to a different creature of your choice within 30 feet of it. Make a new attack roll against the target and make a new damage roll, which could cause the chaotic energy to leap again. Um, So yeah, it's like this, this chain lightning esque type spell uh, that I just thought was super cool. And I immediately was like, wait a minute, sorcerers, metamagic. huh. That's where I got the, the, the basis for this question. So I'm curious what you all think. Well, and
1: I, I think maybe we can also um, oh, and read talk about twin, twin spells.
0: <laughs> that would be helpful, right? <laughs> which states
1: that when you cast a spell that targets only one creature and doesn't have a range of self, you can spend a number of sorcery points equal to the spell's level to target a second creature in range with the same spell. So twin spell requires the spell you use to only be capable of targeting one creature,
0: right? Because I believe if you keep reading um, in the description of twin spell, mm-hmm. it has it, it repeats that condition but states it a little differently, right? But it says I'm...
1: to to be eligible, a spell must be incapable of targeting more than one creature at the spell's current level.
0: Yeah. So what do you guys think? Can can a sorcerer twin spell? The spell hunter do you have any any thoughts
2: i do and i think that it can um okay so the reason being um is is in the word target right so because chaos bolt is uh, only has one intended target right is is where i draw that line so Mm -hmm. twin spell requires that a spell can only target one creature and when you cast it you declare that target and that's when chaos bolt casting happens that's when the meta magic affects it right so when it hits it's the chaotic energy doing the rest of the work it's not your own magical essence right, right. so after that it's not targeting it's you know affecting somebody else it's a little bit different, a little bit of semantics, but uh, hey, it's different than a, a spell <laughs> so yeah, yeah, well, like Magic Missile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh semantics here.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Joe? I, no, I, I love that. Um, well, and I'm curious what your thought is, because yeah. I... Actually, hmm. like... Hunter makes a very persuasive
1: argument. You do, yeah. Honestly, I was leaning the other way before we started this. I was going to say, it's capable of targeting more than one creature, and therefore twin spells should not apply. But now I'm like, wait a minute. I I kind of am a little bit persuaded by this. So Joe, what are your thoughts?
0: So I think the DM in me and the fun player in me wants to agree a lot with hunter um i like that because a this spell is only castable natively by sorcerers so to to give you a spell that purposely could not yeah. like it's a spell it's a range spell attack it, it's exactly the type of spell you would cast with um twin spell you could twin spell uh chromatic orb why not just let you twin spell this and yeah if it leaps to another target it leaps to another target um Uh, But I think that I am going to come in and kill the be the be the fun killer. Um, So in in sort of breaking apart that concept of targeting, I think in order for you to to even make another attack roll against a creature the spell has to target that creature. Otherwise it kind of just would like fizzle off into the distance. Um, Now I agree that it's, it's the, it's the, it's the magic. It's the chaotic energy that is forcing it to leap to another target. But at the end of the day, it's still capable of reaching a second target, whether intended or unintended. Um, I did, of course, some research on this. I found some, um, Uh, some uh, tweets by Jeremy Crawford, some sage advice and uh, much to my dismay, they agreed with my um, (laughs) hyper-technical interpretation, but I really, really, really want to agree with the opposite. And the fun thing is that if you're a DM, you can be like, fuck it. Yeah. Just like you can totally twin spell that (laughs) that spell. Um, But
1: then even when you re-roll, if if you're doing it on a new creature, you're then targeting only one other creature. Like, I just feel like...
0: But you're not casting the spell a second time.
1: Sure, but is that what is required? Like, in the cast, when you cast it, you only target one creature. And then, yeah, it's part of that same magic, but then you only target one other creature. And I read the sage advice too, and I saw that they had fallen on the other side of this but now now i'm kind of uppity and i i want to be able to do this i'm about to start playing a sorcerer right this is the only reason (laughs) right
0: and it's like wait, i have a sorcerer i'm going to take the spell okay i'm going to make joe's life hell. Um, i'm rereading the spell now
2: yeah and another point i believe in favor of being able to use twin spell is just how small of a chance you have of doubling up on the dice mm-hmm, right because right. it's like i am not a mathematician but rolling two eights is only like a one in 64 chance or something like that right so
0: i have no idea
2: don't quote i think, it's, me on I think that. it's less than that but it's still
0: it's still a lot
2: yeah even right? if it is one in 64 it's small right. you know so even if my math is right it's a small we're, chance. we're lawyers we don't do math Yeah,
0: we're, i don't no. do math if you listen to Roscoe last week, we had trouble adding eight plus five. So oh. <laughs> He says
1: we, he means it, me. <laughs> I, I last, being,
0: I a lot of time, times
1: when I, when I am in game, I'll just tell them the two numbers. I'll be like, okay, I rolled a 16 and my modifier is five. You people figure it out because I don't yeah, know how to do It's really annoying. <laughs> it's
0: really annoying for the DM pointing to myself.
2: <laughs> but yeah, it's there's such a small chance of this Effect happening that I think you you kind of have to rule in favor of the majority in this case. The majority of the time, it's only going to target one creature.
0: Mm-hmm. I again, Hunter, you're making you're making excellent, all of all of the right extra <laughs> extra textual arguments that that are um, uh, often hated by uh, lots of groups and loved by other groups. <laughs> hey, I, I took and a I, debate
2: class in 2013.
0: Hey, there, and there <laughs> you go. That's all you well, needed.
2: Hey, yeah, yeah.
0: eight years later, it's paying off. Um, I I totally... So here's here's what I'll say. I, I, I So the language of the spell says um, the chaotic energy leaps from the target uh, to a different creature, make a new attack roll against the new target. It specifically mm-hmm. says that in the spell. And I think just by that text alone, the spell itself even has two targets contemplated so i think i agree raw i think technically no you would not be able to twin it however and anna i'm saying this on the podcast i will let you as a sorcerer twin spell if you so choose (laughs) however i am gonna make you have have you make two different attack rolls is that what twin spell requires
2: uh i believe so
0: yeah, to target yep. a second yeah. creature, so you just make two separate attack rolls. That way, if you if you get doubles on one, you're not you're not hitting four creatures instead of two automatically. But, um, uh, yeah. So I'm gonna, I am going to dissent. If well, let's see, Anna and Hunter, what are your final verdicts?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm siding with Hunter on this one.
0: Mm. Allow it. Ooh, look at that, Hunter! You've got Anna to to break away with me on a mm-hmm. on a case. All right. Well, listen. I'm not a litigator, so I'm not good at making persuasive
2: arguments. You're great at dissenting. So I'm so good at it.
0: (laughs) I object.
2: (laughs) Eat your Um, heart out, Jeremy Crawford.
0: Yeah, Jeremy. (laughs) Just kidding. We love you. Hire me. Um, So (laughs) (laughs) me too. Please. I'm sorry. I said you're wrong. Hire change my opinion. Yes, we will. I will just. I will do whatever you want. Okay. Um, Yeah, I'm going to dissent. However. I'm gonna dissent in raw. However, in play, I'm always gonna let a sorcerer do that because I think it's fucking rad.
2: So, um, (laughs) rule of cool always wins. Yes,
0: I don't. Oh my my god! Oh, here we go. (laughs) Why have we never said that phrase before? The rule of well, yeah, that's sort of like a rule of cool. Okay, I'm 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 adjudicating this um, case closed. Uh, The majority opinion is that you can twin this spell. All right. Lovely. Yay.
1: Time to sit back and relax, guys. <laughs> yeah. And get our get our discussion on.
0: When we reach 400 followers, Sarah had the idea of letting them name this segment.
1: Mm-hmm. But for
0: now, we just call it Something Different Every Episode.
1: Every episode.
0: And I'm going to call it Chillin' in the Chamber. Ooh.
1: What? I appreciate we the go. alliteration. Wait,
2: Thank I you. thought we were calling it Something Different Every Episode. Is that not the... <laughs> It's not welcome, but welcome wow. to something oh, different damn. every episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um and it is something different every episode. That's true. Y- yes. <laughs>
0: it works on multiple levels. So, Hunter, uh you uh I believe these both of these uh, discussion three? topics or th- all three, yeah, uh, are mm-hmm. from you. So, um uh this question was from you. So, should GMs be allowed to use their knowledge about the players? to give advantages to themselves or the enemies they create. Um, Where did this come from? Yeah. Who were you trying to screw over? Yeah, right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So I, I think about this question so much, so much um, because I am running my first like really long campaign. It's intended to go from level three to 20 in D and D fifth edition. So a long game. Um, and eventually you're going to reach a point, or I feel eventually as a point as a GM, you're going to reach a point where you kind of know what your players are going to do, right? No matter what. Mm-hmm. And I I say that, yes, you should be able to kind of plan your monsters around how you expect your players to act and react, uh, but only if you can find a way to justify it within the world. So th- like the, the diegetic justification needs to be there, right? Um, so, for example, you throw your wizard's mentor at them as a villain. The wizard's mentor is going to kind of know the ins and outs of how this person thinks because they taught them how to cast magic. Therefore, this wizard is going to be better prepared than the other enemies, and you can treat them and treat the party as though they're at the intellectual disadvantage, right? Right but like a goblin shouldn't know that your wizard has fireball. So they're going (laughs) to attack in a big group. Right. So, so you have to be able to justify it, but overall I'd say, yes, you know, don't limit yourself to thinking every single character, everything, every single NPC is going to be ignorant of adventuring parties at large. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I, I love this question. And I, it's funny because I don't I don't even know that I necessarily stopped to think about it before I create my encounters. I always create my encounters knowing <laughs> full well the limits of my players and specifically <laughs> planning around that, because I think that that sort of knowledge is it, I think in planning encounters and planning puzzles and planning things it's sort of a step removed from metagaming that is just creating a challenging game for your players. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I know like, for example, Heather, uh, our friend who we've had on the podcast, I DM a game for her where she plays a Tempest cleric. So she has a lot of spells geared towards doing lightning damage, weather, Mm -hmm. wind, those types of things. I purposely will from time to time, put her in environments where she's at a disadvantage because of those things. Or I will make creatures that are, I, I had this one creature that, that um, every round would change what it was vulnerable to or immune to. And you had to, you had to, you had to, you had to like calculate, and gauge every round, what it was changing to in order to know what to hit. So like at some point it was immune to like thunder and lightning damage. Um, and I think, creating those kinds of challenges for your players is like what the whole game is about. So I don't, I don't even know that I would consider that like off the table. I think that's fair game and you should totally go through it. Now go through with it. Now, whether or not after you've created the things as you're planning or as you're playing like an encounter, if you know, like, okay, my rogue always does this combination of things, every single combat. Therefore I'm going to try and thwart him. That gets into like, metagamey kind of like because you've already created the encounter you've created the character now you're just trying to like use your knowledge to to do better in the battle in that situation i would try and stick to what what the creature would have done in that situation
1: okay so before before i tell you my thoughts on this joe i have to ask when we were it like we we've talked a few times Mm -hmm. about the like all day no long rest multiple battles like there were like six battles that we fought with no long rest in between and we fought a bunch of creatures that were that either like were resistant to radiant damage or 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 immune to
0: radiant immune
1: to radiant damage and i'm a paladin paladin. (laughs) <laughs> like literally all of my damage especially Divine smite, smite which I love to use and like all of my sm- spells that like Branding Smite whatever whatever that I can cast on my weapons to give me extra damage are all fucking radiant damage. Yeah. Did you do that on purpose so that that battle would not be
0: overly I'd, easy for me? Or with, Sure. Without giving too much away I did not I, I did it on purpose meaning I knew that I wanted these creatures to be resistant to radiant damage. I did not do it specifically to thwart Iso <laughs> or Draxel's Moonbeam. That was purely coincidental and hilarious. Yeah. Um but I, no, I did not intend to like completely gut your divine smite. So <laughs> enjoy the awesome fucking shield you got afterwards as yes. as my I'm not upset. Forgiveness. <laughs> as I'm you will afraid. as you will learn
1: once I tell you my opinion on this question, it's that absolutely DMs should be able to give themselves a little bit of an advantage. Because when I play D and D and I'm in the battle, like I expect the DM to create scenarios that are challenged to the players. So if they're not using a little bit of that knowledge, like that, that 24 hour, six battles in a row wouldn't have been as satisfying to, to get to the end of had I been just divine smiting the entire you know pool of enemies and like the fact that i felt like my character like overcame the challenge of being like oh god i always rely on my divine smite i always rely on these spells that just dole out radiant damage and like halfway through when iso forgets that they're (laughs) immune to radiant damage and then like burns like a second level spell slot and i'm like divine smite and joe's like you're, sh- you're sure about okay <laughs> you you said it it's done it's out there they're immune Anna but I, I I absolutely expect DMs to like use that and I and I feel like I I have been very lucky about having good DMs so like I trust that they're not going to completely take advantage um but but using the knowledge that they have about what we're capable of to like make enemies that are fun to fight yeah yeah, I totally. And okay, in your example, Joe, with the like rogue that you know always does like same three things or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even then, I feel like it's good to challenge that player to be like, "What are you going to do when you can't do those things?"
0: Right? right. Like, what? Right. What now? I guess my my example was more like come up with that in the in the plant like like have a creature that no matter what you can't get advantage on it or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. as opposed to having the, in the moment using metagame knowledge to like make that individual creature act differently. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but-
2: like if, if the rogues go to move is a backstab sneak attack or something, literally give the creature eyes in, the, in the back of its head. Exactly. You know, you've, you've <laughs> yeah. justified it.
0: Yeah. Now, now Hunter, let me ask you this. How often do you, or, or maybe all the time, do you create uh, either wholly custom enemies or tweak and modify existing stat blocks? Or do you just use them from the book straight?
2: Almost all the time I tweak and adjust. Um, Every every so often, I'll go so far as to just create something from scratch. Uh, But I've got a couple of really experienced players in my game who have been playing for a lot longer than I have and run a lot more D&D than I have. So I'll take things like a basic skeleton, and I'll be like, let me give it a great sword and an 18 AC. Oh, but also... It's immune to ice damage and can roar and give people armor of Agathis and just random stuff like that. (laughs)
0: That's such a good idea. Oh, no. Damn it.
2: it, And I forget
0: you heard that. I will. Don't worry.
1: (laughs) I don't know what armor of Agathis does, so you're fine. (laughs)
2: I will not tell you then. Um,
1: <laughs> I will not Google it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, I tweak and adjust stuff all the time. Right now my players are running through like a fey corrupted forest. And so like the bodies of dead rangers have become like possessed by fey magic. And now they're doing certain Damn, magic to play in this and game. they have stuff <laughs> like that. So, um, you know, I, I tweak and adjust and I'll typically like take the scout from D and D five E. And I'll be like, okay, what if the scout had perpetual bark skin? It's a new monster fight it.
0: Love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I do the same thing. Like I'll often use those stat blocks for inspiration, but build upon it to make sure that it's fitting the challenge. I want it to be for my, my players. But yeah, I mean, I don't even think you have to go as far to say that, like you need that, that sort of logical justification. I think your justification is that, You're a good DM that wants to provide a fun, challenging, engaging fight for your players. So you're going to do, you know, whatever you can to to make sure that that happens. And that means, yeah, every once in a while, you're going to have creatures that are going to be, you know, immune to radiant damage or something to really force players to switch things up. And I, I like to think, of. I mean, I could go on and on and talk about this, but a lot of my combat encounters have puzzle elements to them as well whether it's in the abilities that the creatures have or it's the landscape that that they're playing in there's always some extra element that forces them to think outside of you know hack and slash um i always want to my players to be thinking about the totality of the circumstances when they're when they're in combat and 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 be aware of everything because who knows maybe at initiative you know initiative 20 on round two one of the walls is going to fall down the floor is going to fall apart a creature is going to appear somewhere um so yeah i think you are totally justified i 100 support you doing that
2: (laughs) so you're saying that as gms you know we are the world 100
1: I, I said this on like episode one i was like the way to describe a dm is they are the god
2: <laughs> yeah i mean yeah right? right
0: absolutely yeah i love that so, I, that such a good question i i think yeah. that that is fabulous um awesome well uh we have two more so let's let's keep on going so all right so question number two what happens when opposing roles come out to the same number
1: is there not a raw on this? I forgot to look it up before we started.
2: <laughs> I mean, I know on some things, like in grapples, right? If if you tie on a grapple check, the defense wins. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the person trying to escape or avoid the grapple is going to win in those instances. Uh, but in on things like... Um, deception. <laughs> yeah, like deception versus insight. You know, I don't know if there's specific raw on that, um for me i just i typically re-roll it or have people re-roll it but if it's like for dramatic value i'll be like okay who has the higher applicable modifier so like Mm. if it's a grapple check and it's like a one-on-one duel and it's really intense and dramatic and they come out to a tie i'll be like okay this guy has a plus five strength and you only have a plus four so you're gonna to have to beat him, and that just immediately brings drama into the game.
0: Ooh. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I think I tend to, to roll with the general rule that I apply to armor class. So, uh, coming from the defender's position, if it meets, it beats. Right. So if you, as the player, are being lied to by an NPC and you roll an insight check, I consider you as, as the like the defender of the deception attack in that scenario. So if your insight matches their deception, it it means that they weren't deceiving enough to overcome your insight. So I generally just stick to, um, uh, I'll, I'll, I mean, maybe, maybe we can come up with a scenario where it's not always clear which side is like the defending side, but I always try and uh, give the benefit of the doubt to the defender and require require whoever's acting to go ahead and or, or to try and overcome uh, a- and score higher than the person defending, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. So h- how about this scenario, then? Let's say you're in a more political situation, right? You're, you're in a position where you and the villain can't come to physical blows, maybe at a party or something, and you're both trying to win the favor of the king you're sitting on the right side they're sitting on the left side and you're both trying to convince the king to take your side of a certain political situation you both roll persuasion you both tie what do you you do i love it i love you just
0: gave us the hypothetical we were looking for okay um i you've stumped i make i make the king do
1: something that splits the baby honestly the, the, like, king, the king, king kills Solomon. both of you yep right the yep. king just swords in both of your necks yeah honestly he's like i don't believe either of you or <laughs> um, i side with neither of you that's it
0: no i think <laughs> third guy think that, in I think the back that, that your your intuition of having people re-roll is is actually sort of what i would do although i don't know that I I'd, I'd consider that instead i think i'd say The king looks so equally torn that you're going to have to continue to try and persuade them, which would likely result in another role. Yeah. Um, So basically, yeah, I would probably do the exact same thing. But I think that is I don't think there's rules on this. Right. Because it's such a like it's pitting two parties against each other where a third party is is the decider um Mm -hmm. and in that situation i don't know that there's there's raw on 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 who wins so to speak
1: that's that's what we in the legal community call a case-by-case basis
0: (laughs) exactly (laughs) right right
1: yeah Um, i i agree with joe i think that i would try to weave the tie into the story and then even if the end result was having them re-roll i would do it in a manner where where it like I tell a little bit more of the story first and then have them re-roll. So that could be like, keep trying, like keep persuading because right now he's not swayed by either of you. So,
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I think it also in in that scenario opens up to, like if a, a player is a little bit more shy, that will open them up to that more engaging part of role play where it's like your first attempt didn't do it. Come up with another argument, come up with another cool way to change the situation and you know for for somebody that might be not too much into the role-playing side of the game but might know a little bit more about argument or persuasive writing or philosophy or, or whatever it is they might be able to bring some of that outside knowledge into the game mm-hmm. or just go machiavellian awesome. and fear tactic it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there you go um awesome i love that so many good ideas. Um, Okay. So our last question, when is it also from, uh, you Hunter, when is it appropriate for a DM to really set the party on a strict path versus letting them make decisions for themselves? Do DMs ever feel like they're railroading by making suggestions?
1: And Joe, I think we should start with you because you this like weighs on you so much this does. so well, no, I want I, yeah. I
0: want to start with the guest, but I, okay. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> you on have this a topic. lot of thoughts. I needless <laughs> to say, Hunter, I really loved all the questions you submitted. Yeah. so um so so where where did this where did this come from? I think as a a DM I, my I, I think I understand where this is coming from, but why don't you go ahead and sort of uh, explain to us?
2: So I've always love the topic of railroading just because I consider it more art than a cut and dry. It is or isn't wrong. Uh, Because there are ways to keep your party on track without taking away agency, you know? Um, And I really, this is one of my favorite topics to bring up to people because it is such a uh, an intense topic for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's a fun discussion question for me. I'll I'll get deeper into my thoughts on it, but I want to hear y'all's first. (laughs) Oh man. I I could talk for a while about this, but I want to hear what y'all have to say.
0: I could too. Um, Okay. So when I first started DMing, which was only about a little under two years ago, like a year and a half ago, um, I was very much like, here's the story and here's where they're gonna go. And and like I didn't intentionally rear-roll them, but I'm like, uh, okay, like here's here's what you guys do. And the very first session, um uh one of my <laughs> one of my players, I basically gave them this option of like, okay. Um, the tavern where you all met got attacked by these, by these little bandit raccoon guys that I made up. Um, And the tavern keep as your first assignment wants you to go to their hideout and basically get, you know, get rid of them, do whatever you have to do. Um, And one of my players was like, okay, how much are you going to give us for? And I was like, 250 gold. There's five of them. That's 50 gold each for first level. That's good money. And he says, no, I think it should be like 500. And, immediately i was like well and i was, and I was like no like no it's gonna be 250 he's like all right then we're not doing it and i was like fuck because <laughs> i had no way to like get them to go there because there were other story elements that were gonna happen once they got there um and i remember sort of being like oh fuck what do i do what do i do what do i do and this was like the just kidding session. you could have 500 <laughs> no is and ultimately is that what you did <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. Ultimately, I think I I, I I upped it to like 300 and they accepted. Um, but it, that is sort of the first time when I was like, OK, this is not as easy as it looks. Right. And every DM knows that once they start DMing. Um, but I think a critical point or, or, or I, I guess it all depends on the structure of your game and, and the purpose you're trying to achieve. I think if you look, uh, I mention these people every fucking podcast episode, and I'm sorry. But if you look at Critical Role and you have Matt Mercer's DM style, and then you watch something like Dimension 20 or you listen to NAD Pod or something, and you have, you know, Brennan Lee Mulligan or Brian Murphy's DM style, they are achieving two very different goals with two different types of games. Um, whereas. Dimension 20 or NADPOD is very episodic in that like their, their goal is we're going to get from point A to point B. It's going to be 20, 20 episodes, 20 sessions. And th- that's it. That's, that's what we're budgeted for. Um, critical role is we're going to play D and D. We're going to start at this time. We're going to stop whenever we stop and we'll pick up at that exact point next time. And I think that, in those two different styles of games the concept of railroading um can be much more in the in the type of game where you know you have a limited ability to to tell a story you kind of have to force your players to take that journey um but in the more open world context i think it's it's a lot uh, Uh, there's a lot to be said for just letting your players do whatever the hell that they want. Um, Now putting sort of all that together, I think just like that's uh, uh, I I'm DMing currently two campaigns with the more open world setting and one soon to be two with the more like tailored focused setting. And both are, are just completely different experiences for me as a DM Um, because on one, I take a, a much larger role in guiding the story, but in my open world campaigns, I sometimes get to this point where I'm like, okay, even the way that I say certain things or the, like the inflection in my voice, I'm like, well, you could go there. <laughs> and it's like,
1: all right. Then Wait a minute. I've heard that voice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, right. And it's like, okay, obviously as the DM, like I'm putting, so Anna, I guess. Using our guide your campaign as uh, an example, um, you I all gave you the task of um, uh, assassinating an emperor, right? So there's an army, and the army's gonna go like like fight the uh, the imperial army. So they're gonna like fight and and make it seem as if that's the main push. And you guys, your group of five, has a task to go and like sneak in and um, you know go assassinate the emperor while this is happening. But I, gave, I basically said, I'm not going to decide how you get there and do it. Um, now, did you feel in that scenario that I was like pushing you towards a certain direction? i would be honest. Like, I won't be. Offended. Yeah, no,
1: I, I will be honest a little bit. I did feel like you were pushing us towards the sea, not to like a particular port or anything. Uh, I mean, you explain the further away we get from the from the empire base, you know, the more likely we are to be successful about like commandeering a ship and things like that. But I did feel like you were pushing us towards the sea as opposed to going the like other route going through the woods or whatever. Um, And I was fine with that because I was like, great. Like let's go to the sea. (laughs) That sounds fun. Um, And like, Okay, so, like, my thoughts on this as a player, because I haven't DM'd before, and and I give my, you know, thoughts from a player perspective, is that I, I play in the universe, like, created by the DM. And so if they have a particular vision, and they set a goal for the party, then I trust that they're going to lead us there, um... In, in the like path that they have planned while still allowing us to, to make decisions in the like location that we're in you know so like I'm not so worried about like how you push us to the end point I'm more worried about like when we're in places when we're in each session are you letting me make decisions for me mm-hmm. and that's pretty much like The only thing I worry about as a player, like, do I feel like my actions in the moment are being controlled by the DM? And I've never felt that way about either of my DMs, so that's good. But uh, if you, you know, you really want us to take the C because that's the, like, cool stuff you have planned, I don't mind being pushed along that way.
2: Good to know. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, that is... uh pretty much exactly my view on it, what you just said, Anna, because, uh, I know when I'm a player, what I want is to see a satisfying narrative conclusion, right? And of course all players are different. Um, but I think that it is a much more enjoyable game, uh, D and D or any, any tabletop gaming. Um, it is a much more satisfying game and it is a much smoother game, when things all kind of fall into place like that. Um, And, you know, it begs the question, what is the duty of a dungeon master or a game master? Um, It's not to, in my opinion, it's not just to tell a story. It is to make your players heroes of a story, right? And, of course, part of that is telling a story. So it's Mm -hmm. putting events in the world in a certain way that is going to allow your players to reach a point of heroism right yeah so like they're not going to come out the gate and kill a dragon at level one you have to have them kill the goblin king and then they have to go and they have to make peace with an orc tribe and then they have to go and do this and then they have to go and do that and unless they hit all those points they can't become the heroes that they're meant to be Right. And that's why I call railroading an art because it's like in the microcosm of, you know, where the players are, they have all the agency that they need because they're not going to affect the other end of the country with what they're doing here until it's a big event. Right. So it's your job as the GM to be like, hey maybe go down the left side of this fork you know and it could be as simple as you know there it's raining lemon drops on the left side of the road and on the right side of the road it looks like a scene out of the end of sleeping beauty you know with all these thorns growing across the the road um and it could be something simple like that or you hear screaming in the distance do you go towards the cacophony of screams or do you go towards the dark and evil forest? And it's like, well, if the players want to be heroes, they're going to go to where there's danger. And then you lead them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, you know, as long as you're not like, no, you don't go talk to that person. You go talk to Mr. <laughs> mm-hmm. Edgelord McGee on the other side of the bar. Uh <laughs> You know, I, I I think you're doing fine. Yeah.
0: I know I and maybe my my examples were a little too tethered to like literal directional railroading because I in my other campaign, like um this whole this whole arc that we're on and we've been going for like a year and a half now that's the the first one i started and we're still on this main arc um is one of the characters is a cleric and she's being guided towards basically the, you know the mount everest of this world and so they are trekking to the top of that mountain well yeah in a sense i am kind of railroading them in that in that they are being forced to go to that mountain because the player really wants to go there but i think that it really gives her this that sense of agency like like i'm doing this because my god wants me to and this is what my character would do and they are making all the decisions along the way of how you know what their reputation is what kinds of side quests they're going on yada yada yeah so sometimes maybe i'm just too like hard on myself from that perspective but um i i think oh sorry anna yeah
1: I, I, I mean, I was just going to ask you a question, right? Like in our sure. Ghaidra campaign where where we've been tasked with killing the Emperor. Mm-hmm. That happened. we You gave us that task around session two or three or something like that, right? Like we mm-hmm. started traveling together as a group. I think by session two, we'd gone and like been transported to this other place. But and, at the end of session one, is, yeah.
0: You, you, that's you right. Yeah. You. So
1: like it was, it was really early on. And so we as the players knew like, okay, like this is... This is where this campaign is going, at least right now. Um, That's going to be the goal of killing the emperor. What would you have done had the party been like, no, bro, I I ain't out to like kill no emperor. Like, cause you didn't tell us that before we joined the campaign, right? Like you're not like, Hey, join my campaign. It's going to be an emperor assassination (laughs) campaign. Like what would you have done if the five of us had looked at each other and been like, we we're not doing that.
0: Um, And to be fair, Some of you were really unsure whether you, as characters, whether you wanted to go through with this. Um, I think, which partially was my fault because I didn't necessarily paint the picture of just how awful of an emperor this person is. Um, But uh, it's a great question. I don't necessarily know that I have an answer right now. I know that this another group would have been tasked with that. But maybe you guys would have been captured by the Empire and then freed by, you know, um, uh, the the troops in the city that you were in. And then they were like, what about now? Like, I would have had to come up with some narrative device mm-hmm. to, like, really pit you against the Empire and accept this, this epic quest that you're going on. Um, and it just really, you know, I took a, a gamble with this because setting a campaign in a war setting is really hard and uh i i wasn't sure how it was going to play out but um i think it's playing out narratively really well so far um but yeah i don't i don't know or like what if my in my other campaign what if my cleric was like eh, fuck it i don't want to follow this god anymore well i i set up a lot of the world around that whole interaction right so
1: I mean, I that, th- that first session where we like were tasked with that was literally my first session ever of D&D, like ever. And mm. so I didn't even know that I had the option of being like, no thanks. I was like, cool, that's what we're supposed to do. Right. All right, now what? <laughs> right.
2: right. <laughs> and you know, that's where I think railroading really comes in handy, at least in a light way. You can be a little bit more heavy-handed with new players because I think part of the, uh, how to say this nicely... Um, I guess part of the nice. disadvantage. Nice. <laughs> well, people who have played D anD D for more than two years are real jerks. No. Um, <laughs> but one of the one of the disadvantages of playing with more experienced players is that they have a tendency to push the limits of mm-hmm. their agency in a way that can very easily derail everything, right? Um, So my my cousin is a great example. I love him to death. He's so much fun to play RPGs with. But he is um, a game master antagonist at his core. And so he's like, I'm going to push the limits of what you'll let me get away with. And then if you're not careful, he'll be like, you know, this other time you let me jump off a 60 story building and not take damage from it. What's different about this one? (laughs) So it, suddenly, it's suddenly you're getting lawyered like
0: at your own table, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. And with newer players, it's a little bit easier to be like, look, here is your mission. Mm-hmm. Here's what's expected of you. Here's how you get there. And they're going to be like, hey, that sounds like a lot of fun. Let me do it. Yeah, you know. I think
0: I think I do like I really like what how you phrase like railroading is an art and really I wouldn't even call it railroading at that point. It's your obv- like your players expect that you're going to have a story. Right. And, and and sort of everyone comes into D&D with this sort of co- at least basis consent that like we're going to go on an adventure, right? Because that's what mm-hmm. this game is all about. So whether it starts Like out you don't from, want to
1: run a campaign where they're like, actually, I'm a stay-at-home paladin. Exactly. I'm just going to raise yeah. my kids and yeah. that's going to be the we're story. are going to play The
0: Sims basically in <laughs> D&D and you are all going to like, I mean, great. If you want to do that, go ahead. Yeah. That's a different type of game. Um, uh, I, I think that the most important thing that I've learned as a DM, and I've, I really have to credit Dimension 20 and and Brendan Lee Mulligan for like, really forcing me to think about this is that, and of course they all come from like an improv background is, is yes. And right. The rule of improv, don't shut down your players because that's where you get the difference between like, Anna, you were talking a lot about like having agency over your decisions and not, not being forced to feel like you're being pushed in a direction you don't want to go. And that it's you and your character making those decisions. It's my job as the DM to to make you want to make those decisions, not to force you to make them. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, I I I always try and give my players as much autonomy as possible, because I think that that gives them, like you said, um, Hunter, like the the agency. They have all the agency they need in the moment, right? It, but but when it comes to the overall arching story, I think my players would be pissed at me if I was like, yeah, I don't have, like, a big bad, guys. You guys, like, just, <laughs> just go, do whatever you want. Yeah, climb a fucking mountain. Maybe you'll find, you know, like, a, a giant to kill, but maybe not. And, like, no, maybe they you'll want... just get
2: to the top and be like, oh, nice view. And then you have to climb back down. <laughs>
0: Ex- exactly. Right? Everyone, let's do a ton of athletics checks. Yeah. Um, uh, underwear
1: flag. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> exactly. Here are all the dead corpses of the bodies of the people who have died on this mountain. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think it's keeping thing, keeping surprises, keeping new things happening. I mean, yeah. And I've tasked you guys with assassinating an emperor. There is a lot more going on in this world that you all barely even know about. Right. So, that that quest is going to get more and more complicated as time goes on, mm-hmm. and we'll see how we'll see how you guys all react. We'll
1: see to it. who survives. Yeah, how many characters I'll have to roll?
2: <laughs> no, lovely. Well, first I have to say your game sounds incredible already. It's your sounds game like so sounds awesome. I, <laughs> I want to fight dead awesome. rangers
0: in the Feywild. That sounds awesome.
2: <laughs> lovely. Uh, but so you brought up yes and and yeah I. I was an actor all throughout high school, um, the little bit of time that I was in college until financial aid happened, um, you know, I was a theater major, um, and I, I love the idea of yes, and. Mm-hmm. As a GM, this is, I guess, specifically for you, Joe, um, what would bring you to a point where in character, you would tell one of your player uh your players no or else instead of yes and.
0: In character? Like like yeah. me controlling an NPC. Oh that's a great question. Um I think it I, I kinda maybe I'm not understanding the question fully, but I think it really just depends on the type of character that I'm playing and how I'm how I'm doing it, uh, like what their goals are, what that NPC's individual goals are. Do you Do you have
1: a scenario in mind, Hunter? Yeah, like what,
0: can, like, yeah, so can you describe that?
2: Let's go back to that scenario where it's you versus another NPC trying to describe to this king why he should be on your side, mm-hmm. right? We'll We'll just bring that one back up. Let's say you lose that contested persuasion check, right? But the player still pushes one step farther, and they're like, no, this is why you should be on my side, king. At that point, it wouldn't, at least in my mind as a GM, it wouldn't make a lot of narrative sense for the king to respond with yes and, mm-hmm. right? And, and that's a scenario where I would be like, you know, no or Absolutely. else. I got it. Right? Okay.
0: Um, yes. And that that makes sense. I So I always stick to the rule that in my games, actions have consequences, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think yes, and to the extent that it lets your players do the things and, and attempt the things that they want to, right? So, an example of me shutting that down, like, let's say the two people are arguing, like, who's going to be made like, duke of this this sort of small, you know, petty kingdom, um, and that's Harry what, that, and William.
2: Uh, Harry and <laughs> William.
0: 100%. Um, and, uh, and Harry and William are arguing, and they're both trying to persuade Queen Elizabeth. And, um, and... And that's the person oh, making the decision. <laughs> um,
2: the perfect, I feel like perfect that's like ages voice. I, don't know. <laughs> I, know. God, I didn't even know she was in this call. <laughs> I, I'm I didn't know
0: she played Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. Um, Probably
2: slew the last dragon.
0: <laughs> so, um, I will give them the opportunity to to persuade the King to do that. But then that comes with all the consequences. So if they kept pushing, like the result of, of them pushing might be that they get thrown in a fucking dungeon and then they can't come to me and say, well, you, you didn't even let me try. I say, yeah, I did. And the dice disagreed with you. Right. Um, I think the, th- what a DM shouldn't do is say, um, because maybe the DM doesn't want the players to have this kingdom. They say, nope, the king doesn't care without even letting you roll persuasion. And that's sort of the difference between the yes and and, and, and where you sort of draw the line. So my player, I, I always at least have, have, have there be some sort of meaningful thing that the players can do to fulfill their desires. But w- within that, those actions have consequences that they are not in control of.
2: So. That's a good answer. I like that. Yeah, that was. How, awesome. how would you deal with that? Yeah, yeah. How would you deal with that? So, again, barring like it's a dragon and they're trying to sleep with the dragon or something, in which case, you know, <laughs> hey, that's awesome. Go for <laughs> <it>. Hard pass.
0: <laughs> I, mean, in, I love how Adam and I are both like, yes, dragon. I think sex. it literally
1: would be a hard pass. <laughs> oh dear. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh,
2: but no, uh, <laughs> like in in certain circumstances, like the Goblin King isn't going to be persuaded to just be like, I mean, yeah, take the treasure. Why not? You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that in a circumstance where the player could theoretically and has a realistic chance of affecting a situation positively, there should always be a chance of no, mm-hmm. you know, and constantly uh, at least from a, An improvisational standpoint you're building up this tower of yeses right Mm -hmm. and that first no should have enough power to bring the whole thing crashing down and it should have a lot of weight to it Mm -hmm. right so i think telling your players no should be reserved for something that is powerful meaningful and affecting right right so going to that king example if it's just like I want to be the Duke of this land. I want to be the Duke of that land. You lost the persuasion check and you push. Maybe that's not really quite a powerful enough argument. So it's just like a no, and I won't hear anything more about it, or else you're going to be thrown out of the party. Right. Right. But if it's something like, you need to side with my kingdom in this war, or they're saying you need to side with my kingdom in this war, and you fail and you continue to push, maybe it's, look, another word out of your mouth, and you and the rest of your party are going downstairs. Right, You know, or, you know, maybe or, you're going to the board. Or heads will yeah. roll. I mean, exactly.
0: so, so I, we brought this up in one of the first episodes um, that we did. And there's this great discussion between, once again, Brennan Lee Mulligan <laughs> and Matt Mercer about should should Nat 20s be automatic successes? Um, it, it was and it was our episode about Nat 20s with ability checks mm-hmm. and. They said absolutely not. When it comes to ability checks, um, yeah, like honor and at 20 in the sense of like it will have a big effect, but it doesn't mean that you're always gonna succeed on what you're trying to do. And that the the at while while yes, you are trying to always yes and and further the story, at the end of the day, your players are relying on you just as much as they're relying on you to build an engaging world. They're relying on you to tether that world to some reality and some some mm-hmm. set of principles and laws that make it make sense. So if you go up to the king, let's say they were trying to persuade. Um, let's say it was just one person. I go up to a king and I say, king, give me your entire kingdom. And I say, fine, make a persuasion check. And they, and they roll an at 20 they're not going to suddenly get the kingdom. Right. And, uh, and so I'm okay with saying no at that instance, but maybe the King ends up really liking you and being like, Oh, you're fun. You're now my friend. And you get a discount on all the shops in the city. The the player still got to try what they wanted to do. They still had agency, but in, in the laws and rules of the world that I've created, they were not going to succeed on that. Now, maybe five or six or 10 levels later, they come back after they've made a name for themselves and uh, the king is ailing and has no heirs and you, and you try that same persuasion check and you're rolling at 20. Hey, maybe that'll work. I don't know, but I, I don't believe that, that you have to do everything your players want to do. You have to instead put your players in, in situations where, they're, where their choices have consequences. And that's where the game gets fun, whether they succeed or fail. Yeah. Well, as yeah. a
1: player, I think that DMs should never say no <laughs> and just let us do whatever the fuck we want.
2: <laughs> I no, want to become I'd... a god. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, go for
1: it. <laughs> Done. Nat 20. I would love that. Um, no, I, I agree with both of you. I feel like the, the players don't want you to always say yes. Like, we want you to say no to us and make it a challenge and like create a world that has conflict and disappointments because just successes is, or just acquiescences isn't going to be realistic. And it isn't going to be like, it's not going to make narrative sense that everything we ask for, we get the chance to just take right. right? Or that we succeed in taking. So,
0: yeah. Well, this has been, fucking like this was awesome. a fantastic discussion yeah <laughs> thank you so much hunter these are such great questions obviously you're coming back on the the mm-hmm. show at some point in the future oh absolutely um and we'll have we'll nerd out some more um uh do you have anything <laughs> hey, you'd like is to This
2: the start of our actual play hey don't <laughs> okay don't you tease. said it I not can, me don't tease <laughs> i can bring cats to the party
0: oh who is this <laughs> who who is this cat what is this cat this name?
2: This is Pira. Oh
0: my Ooh. god, that face is so cute.
2: She is she is my partner's emotional support cat, but I'm her favorite. She's That's also my does. emotional support cat. I know, cat.
1: seriously. What? Aww, she's so precious. Love... Oh my god, she's okay. hugging. Um right. is,
0: uh Hunter, is there anything you'd like to plug, anything uh you want to talk about Let the world all handful of our listeners know about? <laughs>
2: absolutely um so you can find me on twitter at the hilariously named skunkosaurus account that's (laughs) (laughs) s-k-u-n-k-o-s-o-u-r-o-u-s um i write articles about uh, being a player, being a GM, um, different systems through the Nerd Blog Collective, um, which is a blog that I helped found and run. You can find that at nblogcollective N as in Nigeria, blogcollective.com. Um, I post on there occasionally. Um, I don't know when this episode's going to release, but... Monday. 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 So um, probably a day or two before this episode releases, I... Uh, We'll be releasing a uh, advanced review full of pictures and an interview with Justin DeWitt from Fireside Games. Uh, he's the guy who developed and released Castle Panic, um, if you've ever played that board game. Um, you can also find my coffee shop through my Twitter, uh, where I post ind- uh, independently created supplement developments for d 5e.
0: Awesome. Whoa. <laughs> Great okay well we're definitely
1: having a, you it's back. A, a rather like, empty way more shop. interesting than i thought you were going to be
2: <laughs> compliment taken pride only slightly wounded
0: just yeah don't listen to the intro to this podcast where, where anna maybe <laughs> sings a song about how new friends you meet online may or may not be weird and creepy but we hope this guest is fun <laughs> Needless to say, Hunter, you turned out to be wonderful. So, yes. Oh, this uh, is
2: all a facade. Don't let anyone. <laughs> <to you. Yeah. laughs>
0: well, thank you for gracing us with your presence. This yes. was a lot of fun, um, and we will see you all next time. All Court right. is closed. Adjourned.
1: Are sometimes creepy, but sometimes awesome. But sometimes awesome. Hoping this one is awesome. (laughs)